0: Hey everybody, Chris D here from MacroOps. Today I'm speaking with Alex, our head macro guru uh, and all-around bird fan. He's uh, I love them birds. <laughs> love them birds. We're gonna do what we can to keep him from talking about birds for at least the first twenty to thirty minutes, but I Good can't luck. promise anything.
1: <laughs> um,
0: Alex Barrow, hey, what's up, man?
1: Um, not much, man. How you doing?
0: I am fan freaking tastic. Summer is
1: upon us. Good to hear, and you're back up in the mountains. I hear. Mm.
0: Yeah, I uh, just got a text from my wife saying the my little afternoon jog ran right past a bear. Uh, the Neighbors just texted the bear that's roaming around their front yard at the very moment, and I just got back about 20 minutes ago. So good times, oh, that's fun. Yeah.
1: yeah. You, you guys, you guys, saw, do you guys have grizzly up there?
0: Oh yeah. We oh, yeah. do. Oh yeah. yeah. Plenty of grizz. This was just a I'm looking at him a, real quick. Just a little black bear. Yeah, just a black bear. Yeah. But They're uh, harmless. they are. They are. Anyway, yeah, we're back up in the mountains and day one, first bear visit. How's uh cool. how's how's Texas?
1: Hot, humid, oh, usual. Favorite. Yeah. Yep. Favorite.
0: Favorite. How's the um everybody's most exciting subject how's uh, how's the global macro world let's get going on some good global yeah macro let's stuff. let's
1: just jump into it um so you know there's i think i think it's a really interesting time in global macro but i i think i always think that too um <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts right now and i and and you see like a big split in uh um well i mean like the way i look at it is that there's really just everybody's, there's this huge offsides. Um, And we're kind of at this crossroads. I mean, you see like global PMIs has turned over, it's below 50. Uh, I think its last print was like 48, 49 or something like that. So that means that, you know, from a PMI standpoint, the global economy is in contraction. Um, I mean, growth is definitely slowing, um, you know, but it's been slow, you know, and slowing for the last, what, 12 months or so, roughly, especially in emerging markets. Um, the U.S. has held up better, but it's we're seeing contracting or not not contracting growth, but slowing growth here. Uh, the ISM is still positive in the U.S. Um, and so you, you see a lot of people, everybody, you know, all the bears and fear mongers are out calling, saying recessions around the corner and all that stuff. Um, you know, the market is pricing in, I think, like 50 basis points in, in um, Fed cuts before the end of the year, which is pretty wild considering where we were just, uh, like six, nine months ago. Um, if if you remember back in like what, September, October, when the 10 year was basically three and a quarter and everybody said that we're starting a new secular, you know, bear market in bonds. (laughs) So, I mean, like, if you just look at that, the, the pendulum has definitely swung all the way back. Um, and so yeah, I mean we have we have definitely slowing growth, but if you look at a lot of uh, other indicators that I that I like here in the U.S., I mean the labor market's holding up strong. Um, you know, people will focus on like some small you know uh, bad prints and like non-farm payrolls or something like that. Um, but generally, like the trend is is still good in the labor market. Financial conditions are still extremely loose and easy. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, like people are all focusing on like manufacturing, which is, which is slowing down in the U S. Um, but it's not yet contracting. Um, like I think, uh, the last, uh, ISM numbers were 52, 53 here in the U S. Um, and if you could break that out to like new orders index for the PMI it was still positive production index was still positive. Employment index was still positive. Uh, everybody's focusing on that, but I mean, if you look at the U.S. economy, we're over 80 percent of our GDP is uh, services, right? And so if you look at the ISM non-manufacturing uh, index, that, that PMI composite index is still at, I think the last print was somewhere around 57. I don't have the chart in front of me, um, but it's you know just come off its, its all-time cycle high that was hit uh, back last fall. Uh, New orders index, extremely high for services, production index, high employment index, all very high and strong. Um, So those aren't showing signs of a a real strong slowdown at all currently. Um, And so they're kind of like the I I think you really have to split everything up in in into two. Right. So this the slowdown, um, at least in my opinion, was primarily driven by um, China uh, throttling back on their on their leveraging. Um, and that that started back at the beginning of last year, right? So they started, you know, they were very public about it. They they um, made an intent to start throttling back on their leverage, go especially going after the shadow banking sector in their economy, uh, which is extremely large. Um, and uh, and so you know, I mean, that that basically reverberated around the world because they make up such a large part of of global demand, especially for commodities, and that's why we saw commodities um, get crushed again and EM go through, I think the majority, if not all, of emerging markets basically go through a a pretty crushing bear market last year um, and recession. And so uh, there's that. The U.S. um, was able to basically ride through that and stay pretty strong because of the fiscal stimulus, um, the tax cuts and everything. And so we have, we're seeing those impulses definitely wane here in the U.S. Um, and now that kind of begs the question, right, is like, where's that new demand? Where's the new global, where's the new growth um, juice going to come from? Like, like where's the shot in the arm going to come from? Because, you know, we're not going to, we're probably not going to see another, you know, we're not going to see other, another round of tax cuts here in the U.S. So are we going to get like another uh, fiscal impulse? Or are we going to get a big infrastructure spending bill? Um, it doesn't seem like it uh, without how divided Congress is, especially coming into an election year next year. Um, and so then everybody's kind of relying on China. And China's saying that they uh, aren't going to you know, do another 2016-style massive trillion-dollar uh, injection of credit into their economy. Um, but it seems like what they're going to do, and th- this is, I mean, from the China watchers that I, I follow – uh, seems to be the best take in my opinion. It's just that they're gonna keep on doing these these short managed injections of credit, like we saw one at the beginning of this year, January, February, um, and you know that that got, gave a little shot in the arm to emerging markets, and then they backed off a little bit. I think we'll see another one here in a couple months, um, and it's just basically that you know they they wait until things get too bad, then they inject some credit because um, they're number one priority above all else is maintaining social stability. And the economy there is definitely slowed down um, a good deal. But I look at, I look at all that. And um, it's an interesting thing because uh, so you, yes, I mean, like the case is easy easy to make that, that we're slowing, but and and what's going to what's going to reverse the course if we're not going to get get a huge injection of credit from China this time, if we're not going to get a huge fiscal stimulus from the U S like where's growth going to come from? Um, but the flip side to that, and I get that is, uh, where's the, the huge, um, like risk as far as like a shock to the system. And I don't, I don't see anything because like, like one of the models that we look at that we use to kind of think about markets is the risk cycle. And I've written a lot about this, um, and that's essentially like, you know, bear markets are typically the result, um, at least large extended bear markets that, that precede recessions are typically the results of quick, fast leveraging cycles, you know, where optimism becomes so high that there's a lot of FOMO in the financial markets and the economy. So people become over leveraged, you know, they overextend themselves um, buying financial assets or or investing in businesses or homes or whatever. Um, and that, that leverage. Uh, that demand, um, that credit induced demand basically causes people all across an economy and a market to get out over their skis. And when people get out over their skis, um, you know, that can cause essentially like an information cascade when the narrative, uh, flips or the foundations of that narrative begin to crack. And then you have a lot of foresellers sellers that get foresellers sellers and so on. And, um, I mean, if you look at basically like, you know, we look at things like margin debt, um, and you know, I'm the margin debt data for the New York Stock Exchange only goes back to I think like mid 90s. Um, but if you look at the last two market tops here in the U.S., you saw a, a huge year-over-year spike in 99, uh, 2000, and again in uh, 2007. Um, and that was this FOMO that you know created this, uh, that drove people to do this large leveraging, buying financial assets, which caused forced selling, which caused an extended bear market, right? Well, if you look at margin debt now as a percentage of total market cap, it's back, it's fallen down to levels that were last seen in 2005, 2006. Um, And on a 12-month percentage basis, it's contracted the most um, that it has since the great financial crisis, so 10 years ago. And that's in a rising market. Um, So there's, I mean, you look at positioning in the market, I I think the last uh, Bank of America a uh, fund manager survey had, you know, so, some of like the highest cash levels or the uh, the, la- the last few surveys that had cash levels extremely high. Right. Um, I can't remember what they were off the top of my head. But like if you look at equity positioning, uh, like fund manager global equity positions were near lows last seen in the beginning of 2016. Um, so they're extremely overweight cash, extremely overweight bonds. Uh, people aren't long a bunch of risk assets right now and so I think that kind of like leaves us um, and kind of like my base cases of where we're at is that yeah we have slowing growth but um, as long as the labor market here in the US holds up which um, as right now it is um, we should be able to muddle through this and just keep muddling through If if you look at uh, recessions, global recessions, XUS US historically, they on average last roughly 14 months. And so if this global recession began, um, it began around the spring of last year, that should put us, you know, roughly this summer, late summer, where this one ends. Um, and then if we get some a little bit, you know, more credit juice from China, uh, which we'll probably get, I would think, you know, sometime later this summer. Um, especially depending on how this trade war develops, you know, then we have we have enough gas basically just to keep us going, and there's not enough leverage in the system, uh, at least that I'm seeing. That's going to cause an extended bear market. So, uh, you know, maybe we see some chop back and forth, but I mean, you know, I, looking at the other like just straight equity sentiment indicators that we we follow, I mean, they're all just like horrible. So there's extreme pessimism right now. Even though the markets, you know, have had one of their best year-to-date run-ups, and uh, in, in something like 20 years or something like that, right? So, um, yeah, there's it's uh, it's there's a lot of stuff going on, and it's not a, a super clear picture to me, but I could see kind of my base cases where, you know, maybe um, the narrative around fiscal stimulus in Europe, in Europe keeps on developing. And I mean, it already is and they're already becoming openly talking about um, running larger budget deficits, which would be good. Uh, And so, you know, maybe we start seeing, you know, that happen uh, over there in Europe and and some other places. And we see incremental incrementally global demand start to increase. And with that and with how offsides people are um, with regards like risk assets in the markets, like there's enough to, you know, get things get things running. Um, and get the uh, stock market running a lot higher. So that's kind of what I'm thinking.
0: Yeah, that's it was well, a lot to digest right there. But um, certainly the, I mean, with that much money sitting on the sidelines, and we're pulling back off our highs, all time highs for the Nasdaq, near all time highs on the S and P Dow, uh, a long way to run on Russell. One thing I'm paying attention to is the Russell has dramatically underperformed and, and kind of, you know, taking this a little more tactically. Um, the the Russell has dramatically underperformed the other indexes. And when you start uh, or indices, and when you start thinking, you know, where is, if, if there's that much money sitting on the sideline and the stars are getting, they're in the crosshairs of the DOJ, Department of Justice, like Google and Facebook and and the antitrust thing, it really, you know, the rotation out of tech with NASDAQ being all-time highs probably does make a lot of sense that uh, we, may not, we may not see new highs, and, but we're probably not likely to see new lows regardless of, of any EM threat out there. And an interesting anecdote is the ability of a gig economy employee Uh, I don't know how they are calculated in non-farm payrolls. That's something I haven't, I I know you probably know this, uh, but a gig economy employee in non-farm payrolls, I'm not sure how that shows up, but one thing I do know as an entrepreneur and, and certainly talking to all of my entrepreneur friends is it is not an employer's, uh, it's not a bull market for employers, (laughs) uh, it is right. definitely a bull market for employees. It's, um, you know, they can go to Wendy's and say, yeah, no, $15 an hour is not good. I want $18. Uh, and at the same time, they can, the only prerequisite really to, in gig economy is to have a car um, or depending on where you are, a bicycle or a scooter or or some sort of transport. And I don't know, 20, 30, I, you know, I've heard $60,000 a year people make, uh, driving Uber and Lyft and, and DoorDash type, type jobs. Um, that doesn't seem to be (laughs) leaving at all. And it only becomes more and more pervasive.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the uh, labor market's definitely tight. And so the bargaining power of labor's, um, definitely going up and we're seeing wages, wages finally begin to rise, especially for, uh the the lower um lower wage workers right and so that's a that's a that's a positive overall because that means you know that's a boost to domestic demand and consumption um obviously the flip side of that is you know eventually that's gonna begin to ding uh profit margins a little bit and and you know maybe we're already seeing that um even though I think because we we saw um, profit margins net profit margins for domestic corporate business roll over the last quarter a little bit. Um, and usually see this, um, profit margins contract for, uh, I think it's like four or five quarters before a recession officially hits. Um, some, sometimes it's a little bit shorter than that, but they're still pretty elevated, uh, relative, um, to where they, they were in 14, 15 and 16. So I'm not super concerned about that yet. And we're not seeing like spiraling wage increases, um, you know, that, that typically like drive inflation or stuff. So uh, that impulse is still relatively weak. So we're still kind of in that um, that sweet spot, you know, where we have a tight labor market, wages are starting to go up, but they're not starting to rise extremely fast. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So um, one thing actually that just drove my attention is um, the dollar. And you and I have, have spoken Online uh, about this, I know. You know, I'm I'm certainly a short-term trader. That is to say, you know, my my moves are for a couple of days to a week or two. And to you, I I I know that that's uh, that's cute as a time frame. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the dollar, it is. I want. It was about a month ago. We had broken out and of its, of its uh, previous swing high, we're maintaining that nice trend higher and the world became extremely dollar bullish just overnight as if the bottom of the range, everybody was bearish like they are right now. Um, and at the top of the range, everybody's extremely bullish. And it, it, it's a very simple pattern to see, uh, but it's also a short-term pattern that it's, that's happening. What's your, what's your thoughts on it at this point?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we were talking about this because I am—we're uh, short the dollar. Uh, you are long the dollar, right? On a, at least on a, on a short-term basis. Correct. Um, so, <laughs> but but I, I think um, I think we could definitely end up being both being right because uh, sure. the dollar had become oversold, right? I mean, you know, I don't know what what triggered it on your on your systems, but um, like looking just at the, the trade-weighted um, dollar index, you know, and come down hit that lower trend line basic of support. It came down, touched its two hundred day moving average, bounced off, um, was at its lower daily B- Bollinger band. So it become like, you know, I think even it I don't know if it triggered a a DeMarc uh buy signal or something. But I didn't um anyway, so it, it was just oversold in the short term. So we're due for a bounce, but um you know I'm I'm still, you know, I have a little bit of money on the trade, and and like I I wrote the other day, like I'm going to be quick to cut and minimize losses um, if if it turns and runs significantly higher from here. Um, I think I'm still like this, like the setup looks really bearish to me because if you look at, and I'm looking at the euro, or uh, USD CAD. even even the yen, I mean, it looks the dollar looks really bearish against those pairs to me. Um but I mean like the FX market has just been like such a choppy, like, <laughs> you know, death by a thousand cuts market over the last year. So I'm like I'm extremely hesitant to get to get too too much conviction. Um I'm just getting excited because if if this bottom in the dollar doesn't hold and, and it doesn't reverse too much higher from here. Uh, then I, I'm going to and it breaks that, that line. Then I think it's just game over for the dollar. Um, at least for, for a couple months sell off, you know, and, and there's like longer term things we look at, like, uh, going back to the, the bank of America fund manager survey. I mean, the, the, they have the U S dollar valuation is the, uh, most overvalued it's been since 2002, which was the last time, you know, the dollar had a, um, a major cyclical peak, um, uh, you know, same thing. I mean, I look at a number of uh, fundamental indicators for, like, the euro, which makes up uh, over 60% of the trade weight dollar basket. And the euro's undervalued by at least 25%, 30%. Um, I was just in Italy last month, and, um, you know, it's just traveling Europe and, and eating out was the cheapest. It's been uh, <laughs> in a long time, at least out of all the times that, that I've been there over the last 10, 15 years. Um and then uh you know and, and then you just look at like sentiment like like you were talking about it's it's swung so widely and, and it seems like <laughs> like I like posting stuff on Twitter um, just to gauge people's reactions and and so like anytime I post anything antagonizing um, dollar bulls or you know just to suggest that the dollars' breaking out lower I mean I get like <laughs> I get some pretty strong responses and it's typically from uh, it looks like, you know, from, from the type of people that that you'd like to, you'd like to fade. But of course, I mean, that's just my bias because, you know, I'm, I've become bearish on the dollar right now. And, you know, and, and I, and I should caveat all this to say, like, I really want the dollar turnover because if it does and it, it's, it goes into at least a mini bear market, I think there's some really, really exciting trades, um, like in energy equities and shipping stocks and some commodity plays, um that that I'm just been I've just been waiting for a do- break in the dollar for and and if we do see that break then I, I just think there's some like r- amazing trade setups like there's some really deep value uh that's not uh, that's really not going to be able to turn around as long as the dollar stays elevated and so and, and that was like another thing like I wrote in the last mer like you know uh talking about you know everything things that everybody knows don't matter right and so like everybody knows that the global economy is like slowing and growth is contracting and um and but you know, I was talking about like, the things that could happen that aren't being discounted, right? And I'm not saying that they will. I talked about like you know, turnaround growth in Europe, um, but a, a big one would be a lower dollar, right? Because a lower dollar eases financial conditions on the rest of the world. It's good for emerging markets, good for commodities, um, it's good for, for oil. And if we see you know, oil turnaround and price higher, um, that's going to really boost earnings uh, here in the U.S., uh, so that would be, that would be really good. And really, it would help extend this bull market run. Um, and so that's, you know, that, that doesn't mean, I mean, that's just what I want. It doesn't mean that's what the dollar is going to do, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm watching the dollar intently. I don't like being on the other side of, of, of your trade. <laughs> so like I said, I'm going to be quick to to cut my losses. And then, you know, if it breaks out to the upside, I'll, I'll happily get, get long. I'm just saying, I like, it's tough for me to, um it 's tough for me to see how how the dollar can run that much higher i mean and if you look at like cop positioning like like net spec po- positioning you 're still very bullish the dollar um so most of the uh most of the indicators that that I look at for for currencies are telling me that that the dollar's headed lower and so um i i really like i i really like the 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 um, long setup in, in CAD versus the dollar, and the long setup in, in the euro versus dollar. But you know, we'll have to we'll have to see how the uh, how things go after after the, this bounce plays out. If it's a significant bounce, or if there's going to be a, and if it's just you know a little little rest before the actual breakout lower.
0: Yeah, well, to be clear, my win rate is about fifty to sixty percent. So just because. Chris decides he's getting into a a, a long dollar trade um, for a week or however long it is. I don't know if you need to worry too much on that. Um, and as we we discussed, I'm only looking for another fifty cents or so on the dollar before I uh, take my take my toys and go home. So it's not really, you know, fifty cents on the dollar will get everybody extremely. Bullish and 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 excited again. Oh, it was just a pullback, and you know, from there, I really don't care what it does. I just want it to do something. That's as you said, the FX market has been uh, a death by a thousand cuts. But for somebody like me, it's been it's been phenomenal. You know, where I'm coming in and I'm taking these small moves. I'm not taking the the you know that big move from you know from like one one eleven to to one fourteen on the euro or you know, 92 to 96 on the dollar. Like, I'm I'm coming in for just little chunks here and there. Yeah. Uh, but the dollar does look, um it looks toppy. The, you know, my, my thoughts on it is it looks toppy, and it has put in a lower high and a lower low. So, you know, like one of my most basic tenets when it comes to categorizing a market regime is are we trending or are we are we in a sideways thing or are we just, there's no way to, to decipher it. And we have been trending up until around mid, like the late part of May. And at that point in time, we failed to confirm the trend. And then we started to confirm a downtrend. Now that doesn't mean that in a, da- or in a, you know, in an uptrend, we can't have uh overextension on downtrends, but the velo- One thing, the velocity of this move down looks a lot like March's move down in the dollar, uh, you know, fast move up, mm-hmm. fast move down. Uh, whereas from, let's say, April, May, it was kind of sideways, but we got that big, you know, the world got extremely excited. It was back in April, actually, the, the breakout that got everybody so, so excited. Um, I was thinking it was in May. But yeah, we broke out of that like 90, you know, we got above 98. And of course, once a round number gets hit that some person decides to put a line at and on their Bloomberg terminal and then share it on Twitter, and then suddenly they're all over Real Vision and CNBC, right. yeah. um, <laughs> it, it's just a round number, right? But uh, but yeah, it, you know, I can very much see the – we we did expand – the volatility. It has been a sideways, painfully annoying FX currency market since uh, the yen flash crashed at the end of the year, right? Maybe the first day of the year. Um, and I'm not sure if that was uh, a reason or not. But, you know, right, right when the market closes, uh, an hour after uh, equities close in New York, we have this massive, rapid and, and relatively unknown you know, obscure flash crash in the yen, and, you know, back to business, you know, back to business as usual, like, like nothing happened. But then what happened from that period of time, we've just gone sideways. We've we've done these bounce down, up, down, up, down, like, like no real direction, no real work has been done. So this is the first well, it's probably the second time we've had this expansion pattern from and and definite break from the trend, which this was a week or two after the softs. When we talk commodities, as the softs really started to get going? This is uh, at the same time gold started to break out of its of its range. It got got really uh, really bold last week. Uh, we're starting to get a little. Uh, ANSI in currencies or not currencies in energy and i mean i just got long natty gas for the i mean <laughs> except for that weird unwind and, and that crazy scenario in in q4 like natty gas has just been nothing and so i finally had a little move there so I, i'm with you like i and in reality i just want to get in get my little you know 50 cents out of the dollar trade on it pull you know a couple R out of there and and get out of the way and and watch the chaos that 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 will ensue
1: from if
0: this does in fact confirm and we do have that breakdown in the dollar and we have that yeah
1: that would that would be great but but i gotta say like one thing that does make me nervous is that usually on you know before a big major trend reversal you see a, a fake you know um yep spike trap in the other direction and we're not really we didn't really get that uh this time than i mean i I guess if you want to say that that Got on you know, the downside. Move above. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly, right, so <laughs> i mean may, maybe that's what this is on the downside that's trapping trapping the bears, I just don't see a lot of bears out there, um but i I would feel a lot more comfortable about this move if we had seen like you know a spike run up past ninety nine uh in the trade trade way a dollar close to a hundred or something like that before a quick reversal sell off. Then that would make me a lot more comfortable um, because we're not getting that. And this usually like, like when I'm putting on a trade, especially in currency, like more than any other market um, that ends up being a big winner. Uh, it's, I feel super uncomfortable getting into the trade. Like, You know, just, I I feel, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. (laughs) Like I shouldn't be doing it. I'm real hesitant to put it on. And those are the trades that usually end up working out the best. Um, I kind of feel that on this dollar short, but not, it's, it's all, it's, there's parts of it that that are too easy. You know, like the setup is almost, I think too obvious. So that makes me a little hesitant, um, which is probably why I'll get my face ripped off and get stopped out. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) but, but, uh. But yeah, I mean, like looking at other parts of the market, like just going back to that whole themes, like a lot of people are off sides. Like, uh, if you look at like, uh, commodity spec positioning for the entire, entire, um, commodities market, it's like the most short it's ever been on record. Um, I think macro charts posted a really good chart about that, uh, the other day. Uh, so, so specs are net short commodities, um, at the, uh, the the most concentrated positioning they've ever been, uh, Bernstein, um, research just put out an interesting chart showing that, uh, global equity versus bond flows, the, the Z score for that is at its lowest levels ever. Uh, so that's something we've been saying. I mean, that's been like a recurring ongoing theme over the last really like nine, 12 months is that, uh, I mean, and, and for the majority of the cycle, but real, it's really accelerated the last nine, 12 months is that capital's just been flowing out of, out of equities and into to bonds and money markets and cash. Um, and, and because of that, I mean, you know I mean interest rates, like like I said, there were three and a quarter back in September, and everybody was talking about a secular bull market. I mean, literally <laughs> or a, a, a secular bond market in bears, or a secular bond bear market in bonds. Um, as that for a tongue twister? But, uh, so everybody's talking about that. Yeah. I mean, you had all the gurus on TV talking about why it had to happen, you know, and then that ended up being the exact top and we've come off over a hundred basis points in the 10 year, you know, and now everybody's talking about how rates, you know, are or, we're, you know, the whole Japanification thing and we're going to zero, you know, across the curve, which I think is probably likely more true, um, at least in the interim, but, Still, I mean, like I look at everything as far as like these narrative developments as the swinging of a a pendulum. You know, I mean, like we the markets tend to go from one extreme uh, to the next and then back again. Right. Um, And so last year we were talking about how great global growth was and people ran into equities. And we saw that, you know, big blow off top at the beginning of the year. And then we made another run at it in the middle of the year and then a bunch of pain and damage. And now everybody's talking about, you know, global recession and, and trade wars are dominating the news and everybody's been flowing out of stocks and going into bonds. Um, and now it seems like, you know, and the market's pricing in two rate cuts before the end of the year. And it seems like, so it seems like everybody's kind of moved back to the other side and now, now they're off sides, right They're It's a little too crowded on that whole bearish narrative. Um, and so that's why I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm a little more interested in, in being long than I am being, in being short here. I mean, if you look at like consensus earnings estimates for, I mean, they've come down a ton over the last 12 months. So it's like, um, you know, I talked about this last quarter, how uh, I think the consensus estimates were for like negative 4% um, earnings growth. You know, I'm like, well, that's such a low bar. It's, you know, it's like it's it's super easy hurdle for companies to beat, which they did. I I can't remember what the actual earnings came in at, but it was, you know, something like around, uh, I think three percent growth or something. But then if you look at uh, next quarter, they've uh, earnings consensus estimates now are, are pricing in basically flat zero percent growth year over year. Q3 is just one and a half percent um you know and i think that those are going to keep on going down the only the only unrealistic um levels start when you when you get out to q4 and beyond that i think q4 is like around 8% um and so that's definitely too high but that's going to keep coming down um and and so it's you know, there's a lot of negativity baked into the market a lot of people are crowded into bonds bonds are super overextended right now um Interest rates, like the rate of change, change of interest rates has come down a lot to where now it's like, you know, like the one of the indicators we like as the rate of change of BAA yields. And that's down at levels, um, that we last saw at the beginning of 2016. Um, and then like one of the most bullish developments that, that isn't going to go away anytime soon. I wrote about it in last week's musing is just the idea of asset shortages, um, And I mean, that's basically like what's going on with that is that emerging markets there in emerging markets, their economy grows at essentially twice the rate that their financial um, assets grow. Um, And so over the last 15 years globally, we've seen three times as much capital um, created today uh, versus where we were just, you know, over a decade ago. And so we have all this cash uh, that that needs Needs to be invested, right? It needs to be put in bonds, it needs to be put in stocks. Um, and one of the examples that I wrote about, and I think it was from a Financial Times article, but it's Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan's a perfect ex- example of what's going on here. So they run a current account sub- surplus, which uh, roughly I think it's uh, 14, 15% of GDP. And um, because of this, they have all this money coming in. They essentially now have like the second largest uh, financial system relative to their GDP in the world which is pretty crazy and their financial economy isn't large enough to accommodate these large sums of money that are coming in those huge current account surplus um and because of that they've i think they've sent over 1.3 1.2 trillion uh of capital abroad mainly into the u.s because the u.s has the deepest financial markets by far um and so now it's like Taiwanese insurers, they hold like roughly, I think it's like 15% of long-term corporate debt here in the U S and like something like 5% of the entire investment grade bond market in the U S, which is just insane. I mean, when you think about how small of a country Taiwan is right. And that's just one example. Um, and, and that's something I've, I've written about before is just this perpetual, like persistent bid for yielding assets. And this, um, And this is like showing up in our extremely loose financial, uh, you know, like indicators of liquidity and financial conditions. I mean, if you look at, you know, like the uh, Chicago Fed adjusted national financial conditions index, which is one of our favorite liquidity indicators, it's, you know, it's not at the lows hit in 2014, but it's extremely muted showing like super easy financial conditions. Same with the. Another really good one is the St. Louis Financial Stress Index. That's trading near cycle lows still. Um, so it's, I mean, with that, it's like you have this perpetual bid coming in, suppressed, keeping yields down, and with yields down, you know, stocks look look pretty good because you have that just extra fattened risk premium, you know, um, and the risk premium on equities, even though they're, you know, the, you know, they're trading at kind of rich multiples. Um, the risk premium is still extremely fat with, with yields this low. So there's uh, uh really, I, I look at like the biggest risk to financial markets and, and the only thing that I can, I can see at the moment is just killing it with our own stupidity, you know, with this like trade war getting out of hand, um, and escalating to the point where it just kills animal spirits. Um, companies <laughs> pull back from, from investing, Um, You know, so CapEx collapses and then that just reverberates to the economy and stuff, Um, you know, but you would think that with the elections coming up next year that that's not going to happen. But again, I don't know. So, yeah, you know, one thing about
0: uh, one thing about everybody who's watching the market is they're pretty convinced that that with the presidential U.S. presidential election coming up, what they think is going to happen. And, uh, you know, one, one thing that one thing I always look at is, you know, certainly Donald Trump is unpredictable. And if he's if everybody's seeing one thing and everybody's heading in one direction, it seems like that is the that's like the least likely outcome. It's the most probable outcome, at least from a potential like if you're looking at it. Okay, this is what's gonna happen. It's a presidential election. He's gonna wanna have a strong bull market. He's gonna you know, all these other things. But there's you know, what is the other thing that, that could you know, he he plays a different game, obviously way different yeah, than, right. than than previous presidents.
1: Um Yeah, yeah, so I I would never put too much weight on on any prediction I try to make around what he's gonna do. <laughs> right. Right. You so, you, I me and everybody else. Yeah, so we kinda just have to we kind of just have to react to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, just looking at the like evidence of the data, I mean, everybody, everybody's talking about how much things are slowing. Um, but you know, nobody's talking about like what can go right and versus, you know, what's, what's being priced on relative basis and stocks relative to bonds, um, you know, are still pretty reasonable kind of, (laughs) you (laughs) know, so yeah, I don't know.
0: It's, it is a, um, it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting one. Um, and, and the timing is just so big, you know, statistically this year is the strongest year, uh, over any, any economic cycle. Uh, the, not a, not economic cycle, uh, election cycle, the pre yeah. election year of a second term is, you know, Statistically, that's about a thirty-three, thirty-two to thirty-three percent move from the bottoms to the top in that year, in this year. Uh, yeah, you know, so that that gives us plenty of upside. That's still another. I mean, that, that's a double from here almost uh, in percentage. Yeah, price, I'd say. Well, I, mean, I mean, yeah, we, we're we at, we're at
1: like sixteen, fifteen percent right now, right? So,
0: yep, that's that's a, not a double in equity price, but a double in in returns. Yeah, um, which
1: would that would put us what in the would that put us in this box if we were to run 30 percent from here, here what's the number
0: i don't have my i don't have that open so uh let's see if we're here uh we went from 600 another we're probably looking up at uh, well over three so uh i would yeah. say 33 to 3500
1: yeah Man, that would just drive people crazy if that happened, <laughs> right? Yeah, that would that would drive people crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, so you know, maybe that maybe it'll happen. I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not banking on that yet. There's there's some other things that we'd like. I I would like to see. I would personally like for that to happen for me to get really bu- bullish. I would like to see a little bit more chop, a big spike in volatility, like even more uh, fear coming into the market um, and then, and then, and then finally rip. Um, so it'd be nice, like if we may maybe chopped a little bit lower, maybe got a, a rate cut by the fed by the end, of, at the end of summer. Um, and then we, you know, we go from there. So I'm kind of just, you know, my, my bias is still to be like bullish over the short term here, but I'm kind of just expecting, um, some sideways chop. Uh, but you know, I mean, we'll see, you know, a lot, a lot can happen between now and then with, you know, the Fed meetings and the G20 and all that stuff. So, yeah,
0: well, and, and we will see, we will see, you know, one interesting thing that, that I always see is long periods of directional moves. Like we've had a beautiful from, uh, I mean, you may not have enjoyed the past number of years as there was that perpetual bid on the S and P uh, you know, other than, you know, post-election, being a little, or I'm sorry, not post-election uh, 2018, being a little sideways, it it continued on, and, and you know it, it broke out of that. That 2018 consolidation, where we put in the new highs, Volpocalypse, new highs, another reason, and then we just kept trading higher. Um, that's really been the only, you know, for the past while, up and since the 16 craziness, um, sidewaysness, I should say, to post-election. That's been the only time we've had any real volatility. And then 2018, we got to a point where it was finally directional. You could trade big strong up move, big strong down move, big strong up move. And kind of what what that tells me is that's the end of cycles. That tends to be, and what I don't mean end of cycle, but it, that's the end of the the brunt of that move. We have this long trend higher, and then, as you get towards the end, it starts to get slap happy. Is yeah, the best way that yeah. I say it, you know, big up moves, big down moves, big up moves, big down moves. You know, all time high is amazing. The world's gonna end. All time high is amazing. And then you can go into this where everybody puts directional bets on so much of a directional bet, the sideways is the only way to go because there's so much gridlock. So mm-hmm. what you're saying. And, and what I believe to be true as well. And, you know, hey, we're, we could both be extremely wrong here. Happens all the time. The sideways is probably, you know, suck the premium out of everybody's puts and calls. And just, you know, these big, bold, long positions and these big, bold, short positions just do nothing except, except eat away on premium. And you do the sideways action until that gets worn out and people just start to get a little tired of it and they kind of pull their their collars for, you know, using the option term, you know, they pull their their artificial collars off the market. And I mean, in essence, you're just, with just such strong directional moves over the last couple of years, you end up putting, reinforcing strong directional bets. And when those yeah. get worn out and not and and they lose their luster so people stop making the easy money on it uh, and the best way to do that is to just you know grind it out sideways and yeah i I think that does it We get to a position where it is just you know a long boring summer uh that's kind of characteristic of summer anyway is the markets tend to get into this doldrum and then you have something exciting happen, and we have a lot of potential exciting things to bring all that sideways money to the market. It would be best if that sideways money, or that that money, sideline money, I should say, uh, has to chase. But um, I think we need to wear out some premium.
1: Yeah, yeah, it. I, I, that totally makes sense to me because it's it's kind of like I mean, looking back at like 2015, 16, which. Globally was a similar time, even though, like, I mean, we, we saw a slowing global growth that was driven by China. Um, and, I mean, if you look back, I think, I mean, the market peaked around January 2015 and then it basically traded down and sideways for the next 18 months, you know, before it broke out for a new trend. And so it's like if you look at where we are now, we're exactly where we were back in January of last year. So we've been going sideways for almost pretty much almost the same time. Um, and, and since, you know, summer is typically seasonally weak part of the year, even though I don't put much weight into seasonalities for equities, but, um, you know, it would make sense if we see a little bit more continued chop until it just like frustrates the hell out of everybody. And, uh, you know, and then, then I, I don't know where we're going to get the juice or w- what the narrative is going to be, but, um, you know, then maybe we start to shoot higher after that once everybody's just totally kind of, you know, basically given up. Right. So, yeah, yeah, that would be, that would be nice. That would be nice. Well, I mean the 2018 high, I see that, which, which was
0: probably more of a 2017 high. It was just a month late. Um, you know, that, that looked as far as I categorize markets as that was overdone. We got parabolic that got at, you know, out from under their skis, if that's the right term over their skis. Um, and then we spent so this is that portrayed so from 2018 to 2019 midway 2019 we've been sideways like there there's been some action but we haven't we haven't really put in any new ground so this last effort to to take you know 15 20% move off the S&P brought in some smart people but for the most part everybody was shorting and they got stopped out and and they're just there so yeah i mean as i as i back to, back up and look at it a little bit more it's um you you have a really good potential to just do one more fake another down another fake another down another fake up fuck down fake down fake up, and then next thing you know you wake up and and you're off to the races. as, as far as as far as positioning goes twenty eighteen we were definitely like that was hot we were running way too hot,
1: yeah yeah like totally across the board. Like we were, it was definitely a blow off top and like almost all the sentiment indicators I look at reached. I mean, some of them hit record highs. I mean, it was ridiculous. Right. So, so it makes sense that it's going to take time for us to like, basically work, work all that off, uh, which I, I think we definitely have, um, yeah. at this point, you know, so maybe it continues to do it for a little bit longer. Well, what's your thoughts on gold right now? Any positions on,
0: it? um, let me pull it up. Uh, so I, I took a short. Uh, I didn't enter it, actually. No, I didn't enter my gold position. Um, though it it did set up on, uh, is that Monday? It looks like Monday, Sunday, Monday. Um, it did set up for a short. And you know what I... So I've, I've been looking at gold and I've been looking at Tesla in the same sense. And, and in fact, Tesla is a great story about how... I look at markets, but that move from two thousand was it two thousand two to to twenty eleven high, right? Was that two thousand two? If my memory serves, that's yeah. when we got down below. Yeah. I think it was down below three hundred, um, or maybe it was two thousand one. But yeah, that move, it, we're talking exactly the same thing. We went from it was two eighty five, I think, is what if I recall to um, to almost what like. 18, almost 1900, I think somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got over 1900 and then if you, so that was in 2011 we've gone sideways to wear off that bullet. It it was, you know, slap happy at the 1900 area uh, and then it just kind of wore it down. And then we, so we had that regime up there for about two years and then it broke and we got down to the, you know, down to right around that, that fancy number that people use a thousand. Um, and, and we've just been in that 1,200 to, let's call it 1,400 range for the past uh, probably six years, it looks like. And if you if you look at the long term on that, we hit up against the top of that range last week on gold. So it's with a, with a slight downward twist. So we are actually compressing and we are starting to do things that say gold is starting to flip more to the... Uh, like a little bit more to the to the bull case on gold for me versus the yeah. this is a sideways tradable market where I sell rips by dips. Um, this is starting to look a lot more like we're coming to the point where they're going to keep denying it every time it gets up there. But every time that happens, it just it gets stronger and, and coils up harder and harder to where it breaks and it breaks dramatically and if that does happen we exit this regime 1600 to 1900 regime is the next it's the next air pocket so big air pocket and then travel not air pocket but but next value area and so a break above that i don't want to call 1400 or any of those numbers the specific number but once you start getting up there i mean you have a big move quick to get up to the next value area and you know, that the bottom of that's 1500. So you'll know when you're banging on that 1500 level, if if uh, you know, if we're out of this regime, after you get out of the 1400 level, that's my thoughts. I, you know, I personally, the gold medal itself, I don't, I don't, I'm not a gold bug. I'm not a gold hater. I'm a, like, I have zero input and thought on that. That's, that's where you get the big bucks. Um, but for me, it's, it's just been a great tradable market you know, buy dips, sell rips, we're starting to get to where we're holding up to those rips and, and they're, they're continuing higher. So that's uh, anyway, that's my summary. What are you thinking about it?
1: I like it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, uh, I don't have any particular affinity for gold either. It's, you know, just an asset to trade. Um, you know, I think it's kind of silly, uh, but you know, a lot of people love it. Um. I'm just like, I'm just looking at the chart and I've kind of, you know, I've switched over the last couple of years from, from bears to bullish and just kind of, you know, been playing that, that range sometimes on the right side, sometimes on the wrong side. Um, and I, I like, I like, like you, I kind of like the, uh, the way the, the tape is setting up now. It's still too early to, you know, say if it's going to break up to the, the upside, but it's definitely looking more bullish, uh, to me. And so I'd love to just to see it kind of, consolidate and you know maybe a little bit more back and forth. But um, you know, it's kind of just like it goes into this whole theory that I'm kind of been sitting with and just that whole offsides thing, you know, where everybody's long bonds, everybody's short equities, nobody's in commodities. Um like soft commodities have been in a huge bear market. Farmers have been getting destroyed for the last 10 years. Uh so there's, you know, everybody's positioned for this high multiple growth equity Kind of name low yield environment, um, but nobody's positioned for for the opposite of that right uh, <laughs> and gold is a great barometer, some oftentimes a leading one of of what type of you know um, huge like macro monetary environment that you're moving into uh, and it has less to do with inflation and just more to do with the um, uh, kind of like the, the the value placed on on a single um, uh, asset, like U.S. dollar uh, value, uh, essentially. So it's like I, I look at it. It's like I don't know what the catalyst is going to be for this new regime. You know, maybe it's you know the the growing talk of like modern monetary theory. Um, it, it does seem like like the, the policymakers around the, the world, especially in developed markets, are primed this time around to to not want to accept a uh, disinflationary environment or or a deflationary environment. Right. And so we have all this debt. And so it's going to take like some, some big efforts, some really innovative, you know, policy changes to fight that. And, um, you know, and and doing like, you know, MMT to the extreme or the, uh, the, you know, Teltro TLTRO, you know, option, um, and the ECB is developed. So there's all these different things that, that they can use potentially in the next, you know, in the next few years, if, if growth continues to, to slow and, and stay tepid. Um, and, and if they do start using these things, I would, I would think that gold is, is kind of sniffing all this out and it's going to break out before any of that stuff is announced. Um, you know, and that just kind of fits in with my whole dollars topping idea. Uh, too so so yeah i mean like we're we're long uh some some miners um and you know we have a small position on but i'm i'm waiting kind of just for for confirmation from the tape but if it if it breaks i would i would like that's a trade that i would like to you know definitely position more heavy into so because i think it's a i think it's a nice looking chart right now
0: yeah it it um you know, one of my favorite setups it put in, which is, uh, you know, I, I, I do a lot of reversion to mean trading uh, and or when the reversion to mean fails, that's an indicator that we have a strong trend. Um, So I, I kind of I, I look at markets in those two sense. Are we, you know, first of all, what type of regime are we in? Are we, are we in a trending or a sideways? And, you know, if you're in a sideways, you do reversion to mean. If you're in a trending, you do, you know, kind of breakout trading. And the most volatile, the the heart, the the thing that makes that ch- type of trading so good, is because everybody's on the seat of or the you know the side of their chair, um, looking at every rally as this is the big breakout, uh, and every yeah. sell off as this is the big <sighs> breakdown. And most of the times they're wrong. And if you know when they are right, that that you know trend following systems have a twenty to thirty percent win rate. You know, the, the better systems are, are wrong that many times. That means there's these fits and starts that, you know, they start, nope, is it in? Nope. Is it in? Nope. Is it in nope? Is it in nope? And then eventually so many people have just been trying and trying and trying and trying. It's it is that death by a thousand cuts, as you mentioned in FX, that once it just it doesn't take so much to just get it going because they've been beaten up so many times that they just give up and you go from high volume to low volume and, and you can see that, you know, that that's when a trend is formed is when somebody can walk in and buy, you know, a thousand contracts worth of of gold and run the market up and, you know, kind of like take it away or, or any, you know, any stock is, is that way where it's just, if, if, People are just angry with it and, and hate it, which gold has been making a lot of people very sad for almost, uh, you know, less than, it uh, was about six years now. It's been really, not just six years, even, even I guess, eight years since 2011. Um, you know, everybody still thinks that that's what's going to happen, that, that 2,000 and 5,000 is going to happen. Once people stop thinking about that and they're just like, yeah, gold, I don't know, I'm onto Bitcoin or... You know, I'm I'm playing this on the Euro Dollar. I'm I'm not messing with, I'm not messing with gold anymore. That's just it's not for me. That's when you have it. And I, you know, it, it's hard to gauge because Twitter is just full of um, every asset class, bull and bear. Uh,
1: I don't I don't have I don't be? have a, I don't have a TV. But are they still running those um you're not, you're those ads? You know, yeah, for, for for like gold and silver coins. I wonder you're if they're asking still the wrong guy that is yeah
0: uh, i mean it's it's a good thing because that's a demographic that would work too as people who have uh, tvs and subscribe to to cable still are are very much in a demographic uh, like boomer demographic and they are very much um focused on that as a you know their gold is a is for them so even if it even if it does come off i think that that you know, I don't know if that would be a good barometer, but it certainly makes sense to ask yeah. somebody with a TV. I'd <laughs> be,
1: yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious. Well, and another interesting thing, you know, like, uh, like we've written about it a little bit over the last few months. Um, oh, I mean, just you know, the vault, the contraction, the vault contraction in gold and precious metals, um, is is that it's like tightest range in the last, I think, like two decades. Um, and then this, the gold to silver ratio, is hasn't, hasn't been at this level since I think like 2002, right. The, the, which preceded the last major, you know, bull run in precious metals. And then also if you look at like spec positioning and, uh, and like net spec dollar positioning in uh, silver futures right now is near 13, 13 year lows. So um, yeah, I mean like it, it seems like the action has definitely died, you know, in the, in the, in that, in that, uh, space. So it's definitely, it doesn't mean something's like you said, doesn't mean something's going to happen, uh, you know, in the next week or two, but it's, I think it's definitely worth keeping an eye on because yeah. I would bet a, a big move is coming in in one direction or the other. So
0: well, one, one thing's interesting and, and back to currencies, cause I tend to spend my days focusing on currencies. Um, you know, with dollar weakening, some of the most punished Emerging market currencies are are really gaining some strength this week. We have the Hong Kong dollar,
1: yeah, yeah, I was the, looking at that today
0: i mean and and obviously there's a lot to do with what's going on in Hong Kong right now, but that was a massive breakdown, and mm-hmm. we saw a similar breakdown in in you know right when the market turned over in September um When the equity markets turned over, this kind of this preceded everything, and and we're getting that. And so Baron on his podcast, we talked about you know this uh, margin call. He called it in right at the beginning of Q4, the end of Q3. And if you if you look around, it's like uh, the the Argentine peso is like the one I'm most focused on. We had a big day today. Down, uh, you know, dollar got hit about two percent versus the pace. But I mean, granted, it, it had been in just straight blast off mode forever, and then we got compressed and now we're
1: expanding. Yeah, down. The, the the pesos rolled over. Um I mean the Brazilian real looks good. I didn't see what it did today, but it was yeah, a lot of the EM currencies are are doing have been doing nicely, doing going a little run against the dollar last uh week or two. Um yeah. So that's definitely worth worth keeping an eye on i was looking at I was looking at some argentinian stocks uh, the other last few days and they've yeah. been going on tear the last few weeks so there' started some uh uh the last like month and a half two months we've seen some relative outperformance in e m stocks versus u s stocks so that's definitely interesting um, yeah.
0: well and how that lines up with with metals with gold is when You know, you start the devaluation of those currencies, just, I mean, especially Argentina going from like three to like three, 10 years ago to 45 today, pesos per dollar like that. You know, you're a millionaire and now you have a thousand bucks. That's what, that's what that looks like. Yeah. So, so a big move into, um, in a big move into gold has been a thing and, and, you know, uh, as I know, crypto has been a big move for them as well. Uh, that you know, it's it's easier and less regulated. They don't have you know they have a, a government that's willing that that like any government they need you know, they need oxygen and oxygen is taxpayer money, and so they need ways to do that. But um, your your point on I think you you talked about it at the beginning of our conversation back in two thousand two or two thousand three was the last time we had this low, in was it in manufacturing that you mentioned.
1: I'm circling back.
0: It was at the beginning, I know. I'm I'm circling back. I'm trying to draw the parallels to the metals market in 2002, 2003, and what the economic conditions were that that are starting to rhyme. And that's when the dollar turned also around. Oh, it was when the dollar uh, dollar had a big flip and it it started moving uh, to a weak dollar policy. I think it was 2002, 2003.
1: So yeah, if, well, and, and that was also around the time, you know, I mean, China just started its, like, incredible rise, so they started building like crazy, and you saw a, a bunch of, because, you know, capital had concentrated in the, in the U.S. Uh, in the run-up to the um, technology bubble in 99, 2000, and so you had all this huge concentration of capital, and then finally emerging markets went on this growth there, and so this, you know, money went chasing uh Emerging market stocks and they flew out of the U.S. and that drove the dollar down a bunch, you know. And then we had, you know, widening deficits with te- the Bush tax cuts, and right. you know, had to had to spend a bunch of money in the wars, all the wars that we were fighting. And so, um, you know, all that, all that created a, you know, long extended um, bear market in the dollar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: So anyway, I, I'm I'm just trying to draw the parallel. It seems like things are starting to. Uh, rhyme with that time frame and and where the dollar is is could be flipping from a bullish change to a bearish and and when the dollar gets you know when you go weak dollar policy like we know what that looks like we saw what that looked like it's you know it's it's the 2000s and yeah. and you know that not that it has to capitulate at a at a global financial crisis but like that's still on everybody's mind so
1: right yeah yeah,
0: that's it's interesting. The the timing that the dollar lining up and gold putting in this move is is getting interesting.
1: It, Let me. Yeah, it is. It is.
0: Yeah, Sorry, I God. mean, if, if, no, I was gonna say if you have any more thoughts on that, um, take it. Otherwise, I got some questions. No, no, I think that's it. All um, right, all right, and as always, so we like to spend the first hour just talking about random stuff. And then we'll spend the next hour trying to answer one or two questions where we have about five or six lined up queued up here. Uh, and then we probably spend the next hour um, falling asleep. And I don't know, we're going for a four hour podcast today? I forget what our I was.
1: I, yeah, I was hoping for I got absolutely nothing, nothing planned. So
0: Dan Carlin has nothing on us. We're doing, mm-hmm. we're going in. <laughs> um, so one, uh, I mean, I have an answer on this, but, but we had a question of, uh, so, you know, the sentiment being that, that we're heading, there is a bear market. What sort of tools do you use to, to trade a position during a bear market?
1: Um, bear markets are incredibly tough to, uh, trade for somebody who's like a longer term, uh, destruction, discretionary trader. So, I mean, uh, that's. It's really like a personal thing like i I would try to get positioned early um you sell sell into rips don't sell into dips um because bear markets are extremely you know violent moves to to the down downside and then violent moves rips back up so it's it's really tough especially if you're just from a positioning position sizing basis to be able to get a good position on um uh, I, I think I think the more interesting moves in a bear market are to play bonds um, because mo- you'll see a lot smoother moves, especially on the front end. Uh, well, and long end, too. So like if you study um, like the greats like Soros and Miller, well, the majority like their their big return years actually came in um, bear markets. And that was because they went leverage long uh, bonds. So. That, uh, from somebody from my perspective, that's a, a much better way to play it. And then, you know, you could, you, uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of all I have to say on it. I don't know about you, Chris. I don't know um, if you have a specific way, because I'm sure uh, I'm sure you're you probably have some systems that actually work really well in a bear market.
0: Well, yeah, I have. I, I categorize markets, and then there's certain characteristics of those market regimes. And, you know, uh, so I categorize bulls, a bull, a sideways and a, and a bear market, right? And then we have a quiet or a volatile version of those. So bull quiet, bull, bull volatile, bear quiet, bear volatile. And they're not inverse. So the way a bull quiet trades and one of the best ways to trade is bull quiet. You tend to buy every dip and yeah. you just kind of, you know, market any open that the market sells off any, any fear, anything happens, you just buy it with both hands. When you get into a bull volatile regime, it's kind of, you're going to go to bed and you know, the market just put in a a 1% day or something like that, or even a half percent day. And you're going to wake up and the market's going to be up another half percent. And it's going to just sit sideways and maybe drift a little bit lower towards the end of the day. And nothing exciting and then you wake up the next day and you're up 1% and, right. and so, so it's these gaps now th- that's I mean there is a perpetual bid and I'm talking equities here because we have to be clear that when we're talking about equities there is a long-term trend and, and especially the index uh, and and the big caps there is a long-term trend that they go up equities always go up especially equity indexes because they are themselves a system that rotates out of weak and ugly assets and into high-performing, sexy assets. So, I mean, the, you know, the S&P 500 is is probably the most subscribed strategy in the world. and And so when you're looking at trading, if you were to trade a bear market in equities, now you have every single person in the world is bullish on that, you're you're talking teachers, you're talking policemen, firemen, you're talking about politicians, you're talking about, you know, your grandparents, your parents, everybody is long equities. And especially if you're in a, in this current generation, you know, baby boomer generation where retirement now, you know, is, needs to be funded differently. And, and, you know, maybe social security is not going to be around, you need bigger returns. So they're pushing equity returns a lot more than they are, um, you know a balanced 60 40 or you know whatever age is your bond allocation um strategy the the thing about a bear quiet and bear volatile is those things move rapid and dramatic they they are every you you see a sell off and you see a bounce and optimism jumps in like crazy because everybody thinking they're buying the dip you just come off a buy the dip btfd um regime for the last couple of years right that's typically when a bull market flips is when every bounce or every sell-off gets bought and eventually that changes so now you have these big dips and people start to buy the dips thinking they're getting in and they sell and then they get stop lost so that's one you get stopped out either you choose a stop I'm going to stop. I'm in at you know, 103. And if it goes below 100, I'm out. Um, but more, more importantly, the thing that you don't have on the upside that you do have on the downside. And I'm just talking about directional trade. I'm not people talking about people who are shorting the rallies. But your margin calls come in rapidly and dramatically in a bear market where you don't have that. Even if you have trade, you certainly have traders on the, you know, shorting rips inequities, but it's not my mom, it's not my father-in-law, it's not, you know, the, the Uber driver, it's not the teacher that's shorting rallies. All they're doing is just allocating capital every month. And so when suddenly they're getting margin calls, which happens, uh, you know, you have speculators, margin calls happen a lot more. So uh, clarifying, putting all that into context, it's a good question to, to ask, you know, how do you trade that? I think your answer is is the right is a well I mean certainly it, it, it's the individual person but I think that you are at a disadvantage by shorting equities unless that you're a professional who does that job daily uh, but as a you know as a more passive I want to say you know maybe once a month rotation or keeping an eye on the market every day or end of day or something like that shorting is is just a tough business on equities so rotating into Another asset class that would be within a, you know, everybody understands a bull market. So rotating into a bull market, whether you stay in equities and you just find inverse equities, or you find, um, you know, emerging markets, or you find metals, or you find commodities, or something that's going to be in a bull market, you rotate into that. I think that is definitely for the for the majority of people to do it. Um, I ca- like I say I categorize my system. So if I'm in a bull quiet. And I looking at, I'm looking at more of a buy the dip or a trend following system. I'm not looking to trade mean reversions, so that's easy. When I'm in a bear, bear quiet or a bear volatile, I'm actually, I actually am looking for mean reversion trades. I am looking for those sort of things. So, um, or cash, you know, taking the taking the, yeah. a, long, a long position in cash, um, even if you are losing, you know, maybe you lose two or three percent. Uh, you know that's stretching it that's still better than losing you know 22% or you know whatever the 19.9% yeah. we lost in, in Q4 um you know even if you lose it on the carry you're still you're still way ahead of where you were so right um, yeah those well are my set. thoughts on it
1: chris <laughs> you should really you should really uh, make a course about all this
0: <laughs> <laughs> jeez setting them up and knocking them down Consistently comfortable
1: yeah. trader course.
0: Um, okay, Mr. Bean has one for you. Uh oh. In his, what I know want? that what guy won. Oh geez. Is... Uh At least he's got his shirt on to this time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in his six-month review, he mentioned one of his pitfalls was not listening to his own advice soon enough. I.e., not pulling. The, well, we answered that briefly. You addressed that within our discussion but i uh, not pulling the trigger when he wanted to you said you were you know those are the scariest times uh he has recognized any has you recognized any recurring patterns uh or reasons behind this pattern
1: yeah oh oh um yeah uh it's I, well, I, like honestly it's the big one and it i don't kind of sounds like a cop-out but it is like it's just like it's tough, man, to get the freaking emails out. <laughs> like, so, so, like, I, you know, I, we, we, we run the, you know, internal MO portfolio and then I, I trade, you know, my personal account stuff. Um, like, I like to, the way I trade my personal account, I like to have like a, establish a position and then trade around it a bunch, you know, and it can be like super active, even though it's like, you know, all will be like one position but I can like, I can, you know, size up and size down and stuff. Um, and from a publishing standpoint, that's just really tough. I haven't, I've been trying to think of the best way to do it because I don't want to, we don't want to spam people's emails. Um, and, and it's just, man, it's like to even send out an email, you gotta, I gotta write it up, (laughs) <laughs> on yeah. Google Docs and we have to load the form in entreport, which is not easy, you know, and then you and then you have to go through that whole thing. And it's not I mean it's not a huge like energy time suck, but it's not a super efficient one either. Like I've we've pitched a couple times um to the group about just like eliminating the emails altogether for trade alerts and put posting them directly into Slack um because that would make my life a whole lot easier, and then I could be um just more active and how I do that, and you know, people could choose to like get the email alerts from the Slack group directly if they if they choose, you know. Or I can talk about major position changes in the weekly briefs. Um, a lot of people like getting the emails, which I totally understand, um, which is why we haven't done that yet. Um, but that's that's like that's the uh, man. That's just the big one. Just and it's 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 busy. Like like trading the to do well, it's like, man, you have all these moving pieces, um, and you have to be on top of things. Right. And so, um, especially if you're like a discretionary trader, like you have to be on top of things. Um, and I hate chasing, uh, so I like to get good entries and, but I mean, you know, part of like, I'm, I'm doing, you know, oftentimes like drinking from a fire hose, right? Like I'm writing, writing the monthly report, you know, working on, you know, business stuff, trying to like you know, create like more value for, for our group and stuff, build different things out with the site, Um, you know, talking to people. I have like endless deluge of, of emails, um, which I love like responding to. And, and, you know, but it's just a lot. Right. And so all that stuff, it it can, it takes me away from, (laughs) it takes me away from the screens like more than I'd like. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of like that stuff combined, but I, I honest, like honestly, like the major thing is just having to do, Uh, trade alerts in like email format so it's like i'm not as active in trading around the position where it's like normally i would um i would put on a real small position something uh and then like you know if, if i was like interested in it and then it's just a lot easier for me to then build into that if it starts to run or to like cut immediately right um and if i were to like alert all that activity i would be sending out you know but i don't know like occasionally like 10, 15 emails a week on just, like, action if it was a crazy week. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, part of that is just that whole, the how it ties in with the publishing process. And we're, we're still kind of toying around and trying to figure out the best way. And so maybe eventually it is, like, we go to just alerts in, the, in Slack or in, like, a private Twitter channel or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, and we're not, like, alerting every little, change or trade around a position that we do. Um, and, uh, and, and then just, you know, like growing, growing our team, like, you know, now that we have you on the team and Brandon on the team and stuff like that, um, you know, that, I mean, that's just, it's gonna, I mean, we got, we got more people on the team, like doing, doing, you know, more stuff. And, and so it's hopefully going to like, uh, you know, things are going to move around. And so Brandon's going to be working with me on the equity research, you know, doing a lot of his own stuff. So that's going to, you know, open up a lot of my time. And so really, like, that's, that's a big thing. Like, there's a ton of process stuff at a lower level. Um, And I'm going to be writing up a big report on this, because it's something I've been working on for a couple months. Um, And I've been learning a lot from you just from uh, following the way you trade and you talk about your systems and your awesome course that you just built out. Um, And so there's a lot that I can that I'm, I'm planning on implementing at the process level. Um, that's going to help with that. But like, honestly, like the biggest thing, the reason why, like that, that it irks me more than anything <laughs> was <laughs> like our portfolio should be doing a lot better than, than it, you know, has its, you know, has been this year. Um, considering like how, you know, I've, I've actually been decent on, on some of the calls. Like, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, from a publishing standpoint, it's, it's tough and time consuming and I haven't been able to, to do as active as trading as i normally have and so uh, that's something we need to that's 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 a kink that we still need to iron out for sure yeah
0: yeah well that's the good thing about this is we get unlimited time to figure these out yeah yes uh good yeah and I, and you know i'll, I'll jump in in here on um not listening to your own advice soon enough i mean you you mentioned this earlier it's it's usually, you know, the best trades are usually the hardest trades to put on. Uh it's usually when you're staring into, you know, like the, the buy on December twenty fourth of yeah. you know, twenty twenty eighteen was just just you look at it and you're like I have no reason to be buying this, right? right. But that yeah. that was the buy, you know, that was the thing. And and you know, when you, you know, measuring risk level for like I look at that and the way I measure risk is is the size of that bar. That bar, I mean, it was just such a big thing. So I couldn't fully position size things. And when you realize you're like, I can't even get into this trade because I don't, you know, the the R multiples, the math I do on these sort of things gives the, you know, the risk is a little too hard, but yeah for me i would i would say one thing is i suddenly usually i have if I have a setup I probably have ten of the exact same setups yeah and and suddenly you're just like okay well, like this is all happening at once, and how do you you know how do you do that Do you position size for ten different entries and just take one tenth of your normal position size for let's say the euro so that you can be in everything or uh, yeah. Anyway, those, those are the, the technical sides of that. Okay. Um, what is different this time on bonds? What would be the things to look for at uh, look at for economic weakness externally seeping its way into the US? Does PMI matter anymore? Okay. Well, you address that. But if you want to quick summarize it for him.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what is that Ryan K's question? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. I mean, PMIs, they are like one of the best macro indicators and they show that, you know, growth is slowing substantially around the world. It's contracting, you know, for the first time in a couple of years. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been here before, like we were here in 2015, 16. Um, it doesn't mean that a recession is around the corner, you know, for the reasons that we've already talked about, like from a risk cycle standpoint and, uh, you know, where people are uh, with leveraging and stuff. Um, it just means that, you know, growth is slowing down like our our um, leading indicators for for GDP growth here in the US point to us seeing real GDP growth around like one, one and a half percent this year. Um,
0: unacceptable.
1: Yeah, uh, totally unacceptable. <laughs> so I mean, it's slower, <laughs> but but uh, like but, you know, like low growth, low inflation environments are good for equities right because it keeps the fed easy and that's you know like liquidity at the end of the day like liquidity is the thing that matters the most um and you know so you you combine with like you know where central banks are not just like here in the us but around the world um they're moving back to an easing stance uh and then you combine that with the whole asset shortage phenomenon that's really kind of pinning yields low Um, I mean, it's still a, a good, a good uh, environment for stocks, like broadly speaking. Um, and so, you know, maybe that means we have to see a little bit more chop and there maybe there's some more downside and that's going to bring um, kind of the consensus estimates even lower. Um, and so maybe that's what, what it takes for the next bullish leg. But, uh, you know, barring, like I said, a major uh Escalation in a trade war that just kills off animal spirits and and CapEx spend or, you know, China, you know, somehow blowing up. Um, I I don't I don't really see the end of this uh, the end of this bull cycle ending uh, in the near term. But like the the, the really the the important things to watch are the uh, labor market, you know, real retail sales, which they are kind of low, still positive, but low on a year over year basis recently. So we gotta keep an eye on those and keep an eye on financial conditions. Um, but yeah, like bonds, bonds, uh, you know, like short term, I'm becoming more bearish on them just because they're so overextended and the the narrative is, the pendulum has swung so far to the easing side and the lower for longer side. That now I'm waiting for a tactical setup to, to short them. Um, but I do think longer term, that, uh, that the trend is probably still lower. Um, but like I said, like there's a lot of interesting things going on in the world and, um, you know, like with the policy wise and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe Europe really talks, you know, and starts, um, boosting their, their deficit spending. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, we go on a big infrastructure spend here in the U S you know, and then, and maybe we see European rates lift off, you know, from, from the zero bound. And then that, you know, basically lets us us race, right. So, I mean, I see, I see it going, going, um, either way, but, uh, until like we see real evolution on that, on that policy front bonds are probably still a, a pretty good bet for going, for going lower. Um, but short term, I, I just think they're overextended. I'd like to, to, you know, tactically go short them and then, and then buy them. Um, but I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just pissed because I sold out of the rally like months ago. So I haven't been <laughs> riding this. So I'm a little bitter. And that, that's probably making me biased. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, there's a setup. Because
0: like the same setup for, for everything for me this past week, dollar, euro, uh, you know, all those things. Um, zinc.
1: Um. Uh, so what is the 10 year? 10 Oh yeah, it. man. Yeah, t- TradingView's done that weird thing now where if you type in the uh the ticker for the 10 year, brings up zinc. Yeah, like that in, just yeah, happened. Which is really, which is really annoying. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, there so what I was going to say is uh I you know, the same setup that I got on the dollar that I got on the euro that I got on the Frank that I got on the Looney that I got on the Yen <laughs> that I got I mean it's it's kind of and obviously you know gold's in there everything it's all the same setup it's it's across the market right now short bonds is the setup um you know we talk about it it's in the uh I actually it's one of the setups I use in the in the system building course in the in the back testing course when we released that but uh yeah it's it's getting short bonds and you know the exact same thing as soon as as soon as the dollar hits like ninety seven five nine seven five one um that's that's where the profit target is on the bonds. It's a short term move. I don't know what happens from there. you know no other clue, but yeah i got a I got a bit of a short um position on bonds, but yeah, if you look up the um if you look at that ten year ten year the the yield is obviously uh, same sort of thing. But yeah, we hit that 2% area. Well, it got down to around, you know, right around the two. So I guess that's right right around 205 is when it starts to get interesting because 2% is a headline. 2.019 is not a headline, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so everything kind of stopped as soon as we got down to that right near that 2% area. People started to get, you know, somebody realized, like, we can't do this, <laughs> whatever it was, but uh, especially probably going into the G20, we got to be a, you know, a pillar of whatever policy that we're going to force upon everybody else. We do our <laughs> right.
1: thing. Well, and, it, and it's right, uh, you know, it kind of bounced off right near the low that was hit in September of, yep. uh, what was that, seven, 2017? Yeah, right you know, in there. Like that bottomed again, like right above the two the percent yep. uh line. So we're right near that level, which is that's that's a pretty in, important level. Um so yeah.
0: It can't it hasn't breached it hasn't breached it for a while. And, and and so we're back in that now we're back in that regime again to where this two to let's call it two sixty area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 2 to 260 is the upper band on that. That's the value area, but it looks like it's more like 2 to 230, maybe 240 is the new value area. So what happens in this scenario is we have reached our bottom band there. We take some time to fuss around at this 2 to 230 area back and forth. Oh, we're rallying. Oh, we're going down. That's That's the most logical thing if the two goes and we, we get that snap, well then it's going to, it, that's when we're off to the races and we're going to have all these amazing trades that you're talking about, you know, you're talking about with the dollar when it snaps, it's all right here, you know, in this potential area. And, um, it's, it's just risky though. It's, uh, you know, the, the easy trade is to, to fade this sell off, come back up and then look to sell the rip and, and just keep doing that. That's the easy trade, but, that's my perspective on it. It looks like most people are in their mind they've seen all they've seen is three two five down to two. And you know, they're not paying, they're not putting it into perspective of now we're in this new regime at two to two thirty. So we have to work that. Right.
1: Out. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. all right. What do we got? Poor entries, you covered that. How to improve. Uh I mean uh so Jeff B is a, a new subscriber here. He uh you know, he talked about in your 6-month review, poor entries, any conclusions, learning on how to improve. Did we do you think we covered that?
1: Um yeah, we covered the poor entries and then I'm I'm going to be doing a big write up on on the actual um practical process changes that I'm going to be making. Nice. So that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um and then same with uh, yeah, I'm looking at the uh, Slack channel right now. So same with uh, when I mentioned being too loose with profit management and volatile macro regime. Um, you know, so that was a big part of I've been kind of all over the place uh, since the beginning of the year. I've had to do a lot of traveling, and um, and so it's just kind of sloppy management, not taking, um, not taking you know, profits off the table when I should have. Uh and then and then again that just goes a lot that goes back to our the way we alert stuff, um, where I should have been, you know, like naturally I would have been taken cutting uh more of the position instead of just letting it all ride. So but uh yeah, but again to that um I'm gonna get into into the actual process changes I'm gonna be making, so that's coming out in the next next few weeks. Um and so hopefully Hopefully, people that will that will help um, people out because uh, I, I think uh, I've I've come up or uncovered some good gems that are gonna are gonna help hopefully with my trading going forwarding, going forward. So, so yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. I guess. Fantastic. For now, at least.
0: For now. For um, <laughs> To be continued. Um, yeah, I think I uh, think that covers those questions. What? Um, oh, let's take a victory lap on Disney. Oh yeah, um, I let you take a it to victory lap. I should say.
1: The uh, yeah Disney is doing Disney's doing good. Um, I don't know what are we up like thirty some percent uh, on on our naked stock, and then our dot m calls are doing good. Uh, you know, it makes me nervous. I think somebody just posted in our Slack a uh, a video of Ross. Um, What's his name? Ross Gerber. <laughs> you know that that Tesla bull. So yeah. now he's out. He's, he's out, you know, talking super bullish on Disney. So I'm not super stoked on that. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't really want to be on the same side as that guy, but, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, the, the chart looks fantastic and it's held up really well over the last, um, two months. So after it's, it's giant, you know, impulse move. And so now it's just been kind of consolidating, um, and, uh, I yeah I mean if barring if the the market doesn't shit the bed over the next couple months I think it's still got a a long ways to go so I think we'll see um, potentially you know 160 um, before the end of the year which would be a decent move so yeah Um, yeah good deal on Disney that was our our biggest winner last year and uh, and that's also a good example of just like you know having to sit with the value play. because I think we entered Disney in when did we enter Disney? We'd been in Disney for a while, so we'd been sitting in the in that position for over a year um, and just a lot of sideways chop, but it's just like one of those things like it literally jumped on real no significant catalyst. you know it wasn't even an earnings or anything like that. It was just like the narrative on the mar- on the stock just finally changed and then it it jumped you know over the course of 2 weeks it gapped up huge one one day and then uh it just it ran up so um that's just uh that's it's a good example of of just the the value of of practicing patience with some of these um uh, value names that are in long consolidation phases
0: you know this is the i pull up the disney chart and this is exactly what i'm uh, referring to with you, I mean the chart to me is an analog, potential analog for the S and P, to where it it ran up to the yeah to, you know to the ballpocalypse and and then it went basically not ballpocalypse it was much sooner than that um, you know basically ran from the GFC to to mid 2015 just a power move. And then it just got slap happy at the top. And all of a sudden, if you look at the volume too, sure we had volume spikes and those are most likely earning announcements. Um, but what you had was that slow, we, you know, we had a good, good move off the bottom, but every time you got up to the top, it just gave it back. 10, 20 point range, 10, 20 point range. And nobody, and you said it like this, and, and on low volume, or on, on low, exciting news, it came in and and busted out of that range. Actually, it got sold off hard into the news, actually, which, uh, which is always a, a beautiful setup. And it does that first fake-out, comes back, goes to the bottom of the range, and now the world is like, yep, right after poor news, the world hates Disney. Oh, my God, we're going to die. And that first fake-out is a lower low and then rips and so yeah you know yep. that is the same scenario that i think you and i have been talking about on what we're thinking for u.s equity the broader market equities is that we're in this consolidation phase we're going to spend some time not doing you know 2016 to 2018 we're going to kind of like 2018 it just sideways it a little bit and then when you're least expect it, low volume happens in the summertime. That's, you know, just um, tends to be a little bit less involvement going on in the summertime. That could be, you know, that could be our chance to rip. But, you know, taking the uh, victory lap on Disney is good, but calling a an actual move is the more important part for a lot of our subscribers and a lot of uh, people who own the deep out-of-the-money calls, the outright stock, and potentially looking to get in here. Uh, yeah, 60, yeah, some, and
1: it, yeah I, mean, I, I think it's, I, you know, the, the stock's consolidating nicely, so I mean, we already have low a, volume. a large, yeah, on low volume, so we already have a large position, so we're not going to, you know, add any more, um, I was thinking about maybe buying some more, maybe a little bit more um, dot .m calls, but. Uh, I mean not, like in this in this range that it's in it's not a bad area to put on another position and it's like yeah just going back to that chart pattern like I love that chart pattern you know where you see this like, like you said you know you kind of a blow off top and then you know you got to go through years of sideways chop just to kind of kill out that excitement um, and get people to forget about it because they just get frustrated with it and then you see a uh, you know bear trap to the bottom. Where institutions will come in, they'll sell a bunch of stock to you know try to stop out people, drive out the weak hands to make the stock go lower, and then they'll start buying it back at a lower price, and then that's where it goes on its run. Like Starbucks is a great example of this. That's a you yeah. know stock that's riding about um, a little over a year ago. Like they did essentially the same thing, trade sideways for a little over two years. And then in as like I think around the summer of last year, you saw the stock just dump over two weeks, you know, which is basically. You know, large whales coming in, drove the price lower, sh- shook out a bunch of weak hands, and then started just building up huge positions. And the stock's essentially gone straight up for the last, you know, year or since. Um, and it's a very similar chart to to Disney. So that's something to always watch out for because you see that just time and time again. Um, but like Disney is such an interesting example just from like a narrative standpoint. I've written a lot about it, but it's like because when I was looking at it, it was such an obvious – play if you just like really dug into the fundamentals in the story i mean the price action the, the tape is what got me interested in it at first is just because you know i love looking at these long-term sideways consolidation moves just because it means you know all the all the weak hands are getting shaken out of the out of the position over time and so you know, if it holds up, then you have just, you know, steady, strong hands in the trade. And then it doesn't take much of a narrative change or an impetus to drive the stock much higher, right? Yeah. And so that's exactly what we saw. And then, you know, after we saw similar thing to Starbucks, where we saw that huge dump in the stock, you know, on no news uh, in, I think it was like December of last year, you know, kind of just with the market. And then it quickly reversed. I was like, you know, that was the time. Uh, that you could tell is like the same thing that happened in Starbucks. You saw some big guys come in, try to drive the price lower. Are they able to drive it lower, then they start, you know, buying up a bunch of stock at a lower price. Um, so that's that's definitely a pattern that's that's worth knowing and, and looking out for in the markets because you see it. I see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's
0: and it's it's the easiest one like that. I mean, it, you just know like you know it's going to play out, and especially if you got a longer time frame. You know, longer-term time frame when you're looking at things, it makes it really easy to to get into those. You play some deep out-of-the-money calls, and you know, buy buy them on a you buy them on a good down day where you're going to get some. You know, you're not going to get chewed up on long premium, and you know, you can sit on those for a while, and they really, oops, excuse me, they really do some uh, some explosive moves. But yeah, know, any um. Anything else on the horizon?
1: Um, no, I mean the big thing that I'm looking at is, uh, a lot of energy, um, names, um, shipping stocks, which we've written a bunch about. Even energy names, still- you mean
0: tickers like your individual energy? Yeah, companies?
1: yeah, yeah. Like, well, I, I'm, I'm becoming turning more bullish on oil, especially if we see the dollar, um, break, break down to the downside. Uh, I think the supply demand fundamentals are shaping up to be, um, supportive of, of higher oil prices. And then like, I, I mean, I've, I've written about it a little bit over the last month or two, but some of these, um, oil names these EMPs are just trading at ridiculous values. Um, I mean, there's companies that are trading for one times normalized free cash flows. Um, and that's like, that's. Just with the money they produce on existing wells. So um, that's insane. Like that's that shouldn't happen <laughs> Right, the, mm. that shouldn't happen. So in uh, the s- same thing with the shipping sector and you have the catalyst with IMO 2020 that obviously comes in effect next year in 2020 um, and that's also going to be bullish uh, for oil because you're gonna see a lot of um, shift in in the uh, consumption with uh, ships so that's the space I'm really interested in. Even in some man, like I just love a lot of like commodity, commodity related plays. Even in some uh, uh, steel stocks, um, there's some really interesting value there. And you look at like just from a capital cycle standpoint, um, you look at capex spend in that space globally over the last um, six, seven years, and it's it's been like it's contracted, it has gone through. It's the largest contraction that I have data for going back 30 something years um i mean obviously that's following like a huge steel glut that was propagated by china you know basically propping up these zombie steel producers um, and just flooding global markets with steel and that killed off a lot of players um but uh that, that basically finished a little over five six years ago um and we saw a bunch of players they're forced to, you know cut CapEx because of that of that huge club and that's just the way the capital cycle works, you right? You see, you know, a lot of uh, CapEx spend um, That on the back of rising commodity prices and then that eventually leads to much higher supply down the road and then that supply exceeds demand and then you see um, That collapse you see prices collapse and then you see CapEx collapse and then that falls for a number of years until you know supply and demand come back into balance and demand starts to exceed supply. And so we're starting to see that a little bit in the still space, see that a little bit in the energy space. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I mean, all all we need is, is a lower dollar. And if that's, if that happens, man, I mean, some of these things are just going to fucking go on a tear. Um, So I'm going to be writing that. Uh, I'm I'm working on, on that for our next uh, monthly report, which I'm putting out next week. So that's, what I'm researching right now at the moment I got a couple names that I'll be I'll be uh pitching that uh I'm I'm pretty excited about. So um that's about it, man. That's the only thing that I'm super interested in the moment. That, like that and it. currencies. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we are right there at the uh at the line and with an election season starting to really kick up. I think we might have some uh some interesting things Happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, and another interesting thing that I saw, I can't remember who, who shared the chart. Um, but if you look at infrastructure spending in the U S at the, at the local and state level, it's like freaking gone parabolic recently. Hmm. And so that's, um, really interesting. And I'm, I'm guessing it's, you know, partly the result of just having a really healthy, strong labor market. Um, so they're collecting more taxes from people and, and we're, you know, every, like it's a, it's a popular topic. I mean, nearly every part of this country needs, um, updated infrastructure, right? So, um, that would be good from a a demand standpoint, uh, for our, our, our economy. And if that keeps on picking up, you know, maybe that helps boost GDP growth next year. Um, especially if we, we start to, you know, if we see some cooperation at the, at the federal level, which is a big if, but, you know, if we do, that, that could be huge. And so, you know, like one of our, one of our stocks we hold that, that are, that Mr. Bean, um, found for us and did the analysis on is construction partners road, mm. you know, so that's been, you know, still kind of chopping around, but I think that there's, uh, a number of catalysts that can really send that stock higher and, and it's arguably, a, you know, trading at a, a pretty cheap, cheap value. So that's something, we're keeping an eye on um but yeah that's about it man all right
0: well that's been uh hey it's a it's a pretty good one let's see how we did on time 147 i think that's our average that's not bad that's a easy day yeah um cool yeah we've uh, it's been a week or two since i've pushed out a podcast anyway so this will be uh this will be exciting and no reason to push them out if there's nothing to speak about right
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. All
0: yeah. right. Well, well, it
1: was. Uh, it was good. Good to be on here with you, like always. And, yeah. And um, and we'll have to do this soon. And, and you should get on. Um, I mean, I think you got to talk. Uh, Darren into coming back on. Yeah. Eventually too, because man, that I, was I a love popular episode. Yeah, that was that was super good. Um, he he should be a regular guest, in my opinion. But uh, uh sure. Um, yeah. Always good, dude. So yeah, let's keep on watching the uh, the the dollar and see where things go. And if we finally get a breakout, um, then we'll have to come back on and celebrate. <laughs> one of us will. Yeah, uh, one of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh,
0: yeah. Also, let's see. So you're pushing out the the MER, which is monthly intelligent report. That's... Yeah,
1: I got I got that going out next week. So, so yeah, so maybe come back on. We could chat about it um, after we push that out.
0: All right. Yeah. So that's the that's the big bird episode of uh twenty
1: nineteen. Yeah, so. I am I am of course incorporating some really <laughs> interesting bird facts in, into this month's report. Um I think you guys are gonna love it. <laughs> being in <laughs>
0: being in Victoria Island, British Columbia this past week, I got to see a vast amount of birds of prey. So I oh, do yeah. have, a, yeah, I they mean,
1: have amazing species out there.
0: I got to see yeah. my bald eagles fly by as I was on a awesome. phone call on my laptop on the balcony. I was just like, "Whoa!" It was it was uh, beautiful. So, I do awesome. I I,
1: yeah.
0: I do follow your uh, not as much as you, but I do
1: appreciate your love for birds. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. Right on. Dude. All right. Well, cool. Yeah. Good right. talking, and uh, I will talk to you again soon.
0: Sounds good.
1: Later.